Hi, this is Richard Viasano, founder of Forever Homes for Foster Kids. I'm here with Rick Flynn, and today we're going to be talking about zero tolerance, the U.S. government's effort to stop the tide of immigrants coming into the U.S. from Latin America, the terrible plan that was put in place to separate children from their parents, the effort that has been going on to reunite these children in my work, the work of my nonprofit, Forever Homes for foster kids to help the federal government reunite, locate these parents, and get them back to their children that they have not seen, in some cases, for five years. You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout-out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn Presents... Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome into a wonderful, a heartwarming show today. I'm going to enjoy hearing what our guest, Richard Villasana, has to say because he has done some commendable work, and I'm going to let him tell you all about it. His website, www.foreverhomesforfosterkids.org. Richard Villasana is it true that you have reunited approximately 11,000, maybe more, children with their families and loved ones? Is that true? And welcome in. Let everybody know what you're up to. Come on in here. Well, thank you so much, Rick, for having me. Yes, we have worked with that many families over nearly three decades. And uh, we have a specialty that we have is that we do this with uh, children who are in the U.S. foster care system by locating their relatives throughout Latin America. And that is a very hard demographic to help because not that many people in the U.S. really speak Spanish, read it, or comprehend it. And so this makes it very challenging for Latino foster kids to have their relatives found and to get them out of the foster care system. Now, did not I hear you say or write in an article or something where you attributed a lot of this breakup of the children from the original family to when they were taken from the family as a result of some, uh, oh, how do we say it? Was it uh, uh, border disputes? <laughs> Should I put it that way? Well, we actually work with two sets of children. So the ones that you're referring to is something that we just started as of 2021. What happened is that, yes, thousands of children were separated from their parents when they arrived across the U.S., crossed in from Mexico. There was a policy that was instituted, and it was specifically aimed at separating children from their parents, whether they had papers or not, uh, and in some cases, whether they came through an official port. This was something that was found out a few years later that even if someone came to, let's say, San Diego, had their papers in order, 
murder, they still separated their children. So this was a terrible, terrible disaster, humanitarian disaster. And so the government now for years has been trying to locate these parents who were separated from their children so they can get the families back together. And those children, we have been working on their behalf to locate their parents who, in many cases, were deported back to their country of origin, like Guatemala or El Salvador, Honduras, where, again, even though it's the federal government, people don't understand Spanish, don't read Spanish, and don't know how to work well in these other countries to locate people. So uh, they came to my nonprofit and said, could you help? And on behalf of the federal government, we have been uh, locating those parents, and we have been closing some of their worst cold cases, cases that had been around for a number of years because they were so challenging. So the government of the United States right now, they're actually working with you to reunite these wayward or lost children with their family. You have the government's blessing, if you will. That's a good way of putting it. It certainly it wasn't like the White House contacted me. There are many players in this but ultimately, those responsible and who are doing this approached me uh, to do this work. So we are definitely doing this on behalf of the federal government. This is something that, um, just like in foster care, many county agencies will contract out certain services to nonprofits and organizations who have a specialty. And the federal government has done the same thing. They have gone to various agencies that excel in this kind of work and had them working on this problem. So, you know, they've made a good faith effort to do this. That is something people should be aware of, that yes, they have tried, and those agencies have really done some amazing work. We're talking about more than 5,000 children and families that were separated. However, they hit a block, a wall, with some of these families. I'll give you uh, a hypothetical because the contracts, I can't be specific, but let's say that we had a case where they gave us the name of the mother, maybe one other piece of information, and they said, she lives in Honduras. That was it. That's all the information we would have to run with, and yet we were still able to find that person. Absolutely amazing. Now, who is the genius who thought it would be a great idea to separate the children from their families in the first place? The one who architected this would have to be Jeff Sessions. And there are, is documentation that this came down. It was during the Trump administration. But I would have to say Jeff Sessions is the one who implemented this and made this happen. It started back in early 2017 as a pilot program. And the significance of that is that it was not official. It was, again, a pilot program. We're trying it out, but he made it very clear to every agency along the border, this is what you're going to do. And documents showed that this, they understood that they were going to be taking children away from parents. This was something that had never happened. Now, when I say never, let me back up on that just a touch. If a child came across with their parent and let's say that they found that the parent was abusive, 
abusive or there was some kind of question about um, you know, sexual you know, abuse or something along those lines. Clearly, you don't want the parent with the child. And the government would step in and separate them. But these were very rare situations. What made this such a humanitarian disaster is that because they almost never separated parents, when they started doing this by the thousands, we needed a place to put the children because they couldn't put the children with the adults who are now going to a federal lockup. And of course, you don't want to put children in a federal situation, in an adult situation. So they had to make a new place for these children. And they had many, many more adults that were being detained. This meant more paperwork, more identification, and they weren't ready for it. So things got out of hand very quickly because there was little planning on how they were, the federal government was going to handle all of this. Okay. Now, as one who is no expert at all on who is who in our federal government, especially the Trump administration, who was Jeff Sessions and what was his role, his title? So uh, Jeff Sessions was the, at that particular time, he was the, um, pardon me there for a second while <laughs> Um, he was the Attorney General of the United States, and in that capacity, he was over the Department of Homeland Security. And so it was through the Department of Homeland Security that he was able to get this plan up and running. And again, one of the keys is that it was informal. And I mention that because because it was informal. It wasn't an official program. Nobody could step in and go to the court and say, we don't think this is a good idea. We don't think this is, you know, just, this is equitable, and that these children should be separated from their parents in this particular manner, because once a person steps onto U.S. soil, they have the right to ask for asylum, and they have the right to do process to have their case heard properly. And that law makes it very clear. It doesn't matter how they get here. As long as their foot steps on U.S. soil, they can at that time legally ask for asylum and be afforded the rights that come along with making that request. And that's where things went sideways. That process was not being adhered to. People were being pulled in front of court, people speaking English to people who speak Spanish, or were coming from Guatemala, where they speak different languages, indigenous languages like Mom, Quiche, Acateco. So this would be like someone trying to speak Spanish to someone who speaks Italian or Polish. They're not going to understand. And we're also talking about not having representation. And so all of this, these things that we take for granted here of due process that we should have our day in court. Well, these were things that these people, they had their day in court, but they didn't understand a word that was being told to them. They didn't understand the implications. They didn't understand the pieces of paper that were put in front of them to sign away their life and say, essentially, we're going to send you away and you're never going to come back and you're not going to see your child. It's terrible. And of what benefit at that time when this was happening, did they feel that was going to improve anything? Well, the idea was 
sound, you know, that may sound terrible, but the idea was this will be a deterrent to people coming to the U.S. because they will know if you bring your child, your child will be taken from you. And it did work as a deterrent. And numbers did go down because people were deported back to their country of origin, like Honduras and El Salvador. And they did tell people, I went with my four-year-old daughter. She's in the U.S. and I'm here. And that, and that parent so yes, had no idea did. where the daughter is or is at all. They didn't tell the parent, here's where she is, here's how you contact her, or is it just, sorry, she's gone? Pretty much there are certain, you know, it fluctuates just like anything else. Some places were better at telling parents where their children were. Some parents were in contact with their children. Other parents had no idea where their child was, and they had been... Uh, sent away, deported, without having that information. Uh, parents would be called and they would be with their children initially in a holding area and so on, like an official, when I say official, you know, border uh, patrol, uh, they would come, say, we want to talk to you for a second. They would take the parent away. The parent would come back maybe an hour later and their daughter's gone. And no, no one's telling them where your daughter is gone. And unfortunately, we do have people working in immigration who are not mm, good-hearted people who have compassion. There are definitely those who do their job well and professionally, but there are those who do their jobs with a less of a sense of compassion and care for a person. They're earning their paycheck, but they are certainly not what we call kind or caring, maybe even humane individuals. These are people who do enjoy watching this and watching the suffering. And that's just, it's unfortunate, but that is what we have, just as in any place. We have that one person who really doesn't care, doesn't matter who they walk all over, doesn't matter who they hurt. Well, the same thing happens in immigration. And it certainly happens in a place like this with people who have basically no rights, no say in what happens. They have almost total authority, and that can definitely pull out the worst in people instead of the best. And so, yes, many parents were deported and had no idea where their child was. And they still do not as we speak today. The good news is that most parents are in contact with their children. Over time, those children have been placed with what they call a sponsor. But that's just a fancy way of saying, in most cases, a relative. And that sponsor may actually be a mother. So here's a scenario. A father might come up and then... A couple of years later, something may happen in their country. The child is threatened because the gangs want them to work for them. And a lot of people, when they think of you know these stories, they're like, "Yeah, it's bad." No, you're not thinking about if there's if you had a child. Let's put it that way, and they're ten years old. You do not expect your child to come back without their thumbs because this afternoon after school, one of the people working for the gangs said, "We want." you to run drugs and your little boy said no i can't do that i said we'll, we'll fix that and they cut their thumbs off and that's how your son shows up no thumbs that's their way of sending a message to all the other kids you will work for us or else that's the level of violence these people are facing i have had people work in areas where the police said okay the person you want to find is five blocks over next to the school, and they're like, great. And the police are saying, but you're not going to go, and we're not going to go. It's controlled by the gang. Nobody is going to meet this parent because it's too 
dangerous. Now, when was the last time that we're walking around someplace here in the U.S. and the police officer says, yes, you just go down five blocks and the house is on the left, but don't go. You might get killed. So there's a level of violence in these countries that I don't think we're able to comprehend up here, unless you're living in a very dangerous area, which is gang-controlled, and you're in the middle of that. But for most people who are not engaged in this activity, this is a horrible, terrible, inhumane type of violence that these people are suffering. And so the father says, bring my child up. You come with them. And those were the parents who ended up getting separated. The mother goes one direction, the child goes, but the child may eventually end up with the father. In most cases, they do. And at that point, then the, the mother's back in, let's say, Guatemala. The father has the phone number and start talking to each other. So the family's are in contact. The problem is the government doesn't know how to talk to them and how to reach them. And that's important because the government is trying to reunite these families. And to do that, they have to be able to pick the phone up and now call the mother who's back in her country. Now, with the example you just gave about the daughter, that was an example where the daughter was in the care and custody of a gang outside of the United States? Or is that a daughter that was taken from the family within the United States and is now living with a gang in the United States? Can you help us out there? Yes, I will be happy to clarify that. So the reference in this particular story is that the mother was living with her daughter in, let's say, Honduras, and it was the gangs in Honduras who were coming to the child and saying, we want you to be involved with drugs. And if the daughter said no, sometimes the punishment is immediate. Sometimes the punishment is, okay, you said no to us. We're just going to kill your family this weekend. And there's not much choice there because this is not like something someone says and everyone's like, wow, you know, Ricardo is really a crazy person. Listen to how he talks. They're like, Ricardo is a crazy person. He's going to kill us. There's a big difference down there. If they say that, the chances are high it's going to happen. And so with that fear and that threat of violence, this family, this mother and her daughter have left just as many other people left and are leaving Central America because there's not much they can do about it. And if we think about it, there's not much that happens up here. We have women getting killed, putting in restraining orders, and they're still getting killed by their boyfriends, spouses, ex-lovers. So it just is notched up more down there and more immediate down there. Life doesn't hold. It's not as sacred. And I think we try to keep it sacred up here. Sometimes the law doesn't work the way we'd hoped it would. Sometimes nothing would stop someone. It's always been said that if someone really wants to kill you, they will kill you if they really want to. But we don't have people like that up here normally. Down there they do. Down there, having control is very important. And so people are threatened all the time with their life. Okay, now there is a difference between a child taken from a family in Honduras or a foreign country that's not a United States property, and then one who comes with mom and dad to the U.S., and they say, we'd like to talk to you, sir, or ma'am, or both of you, and they come back a half hour later, and their four-year-old daughter is gone. That happens in America, you're saying, and that is a totally different thing. You're not saying that that daughter 
who has been removed from the family in the USA, is now leading a life with a Honduran drug gang in Los Angeles or somewhere in America. Am I right on that, or can you straighten me out? Yes. Yes, you are absolutely correct. The government did separate these children. Now, they have, for the most part, I say that because there's always the possibility that that is happening, but I would say it would be extremely remote that these children are now being separated. Nothing like what happened between 2017 and 2020, where more than 5,000 families were separated with their children. And these children end up with a sponsor, and that sponsor is normally a parent or an aunt or a cousin, but a relative. So they speak the language. Now, whether they're in a great location, that's another problem because the people that they're going to, the child is going, let's say, to live with her father. That's where the government placed her. That was a good choice. He's in the U.S., but he's here also without having gone through the proper process. And I know there will be people who get into that, and that is part of the problem. We have a system that is backlogged so badly to care for people who come here legitimately. We're doing a terrible job of processing them, but keeping it with the father. So the girl's with the father, but he can't get a job. Well, he's having to work and get paid under the table. He has no health insurance. Really, the only benefit that the family has up here is that there's the potential to make more money, much more money than in, let's say, Guatemala, and the girl can now go to school. That really is one of the bigger benefits. But, you know, we have inflation now. Can they afford where they stay? Maybe yes. Are they going to end up homeless? That could happen. Could they have to move to a poor area where there now are gangs? That could happen. These children are ripe for sex trafficking. There are just so many things because they're not in a very stable situation because their parent is not in a stable financial situation because they cannot get a regular job with regular benefit or regular pay. And so that's a huge problem, which leads into another huge problem now with these children who were separated and are now with their father or their parent or aunt or uncles or cousins. So for three straight years, we took in this country children away from their mothers, dads, and loved ones. And they numbered, according to what you've told us here, 5,000 or so. How many of that 5,000? if you're aware, have been reunited and how many are still out there? So the number is over 5,000 and an article came out about two weeks ago and said uh, that about 500 have been reunited. So we have not yet gotten 10% of these children reunited with their parents. That's not a figure to be proud of. That's nothing to be proud of. No, 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 it's not. It's certainly good that we're moving in the right direction and many of these parents are in various stages of being reunited. But as far as being whole, no, that is not a wonderful number at this point in 2022, and let's face it, we're really looking at 2023. So some of these children, they have been going through this horrible experience now for close to five years right. and not seeing their mother or father. And that, uh, excuse me for saying it, but that's ugly. That is about as ugly as it comes as far as I'm concerned. That's not good. 
No, it, it's not. And it is, and that's why I'm, I feel very privileged and, and honored in a way that we're able to do this because without my expertise, many more families would not even have the hope of being reunited. And I am very, you know, thrilled in a very terrible situation. But if you're there causing solutions and making the positive happen, then there is light and there is some joy because you know that sooner or later, this will happen. And I know that the government's working on it and it does sound terrible. And there is no side of this that is without the pain of these families on their hands. It takes a group to run a country and there's a lot of culpability with our politicians, but they are trying and they have brought in some very good people to do this. And as in any situation, if you get stuck, they were smart enough to say, we need even more help. And they came to me and my nonprofit. And so we're part of the team that is making this happen, that is trying to find this, because this is where there may be the disconnect. When these children were separated, there was no tracking in place. And one of the judges involved with this, who's now a chief U.S. district judge, Judge Sabra, wrote, you can track watches and pictures and clothing and every item but you didn't put in a way to track a child. We could track property better than we could track a child. And that's true. And that's the big problem here. That's why it's taking so long. They did not put in a process. They were not prepared. There was no plan to reunite these children with their families. The separation part, they wanted that, but they did not have any plans on how do we put them together. And that is what has made this so challenging. Just as I mentioned earlier, having just the name of a country. That would be like saying, I want you to find Rick, and he lives in the United States. <laughs> Good luck. That's a, yes, exactly. Even yeah. if I said, let's find Rick, and he lives in California, still good luck, because most databases don't work that way, and there aren't big databases in these countries to begin with. And so if I tell you, let's find Rick in, in California, or I say, let's find him because he lives in Sacramento, San Diego, whoa, which one am I supposed to focus on? Now, one case means I've got to work two cases, because i got to work Sacramento, i got to work San Diego. What if someone says, I want you to find Rick in San Diego, Sac. Well, I don't know a Sac in California. And you find out Sacramento. That's a terrible analogy, but that's some of the things we've found working in these countries. They messed the name up so bad. Some of these names are so close to each other that it's virtually impossible to tell which is which. And so our work has been extremely challenging because we may have to do six searches in six areas because the information was so bad, we had to just go through one by one to try to find that person because there's no better information for us to work with. So it has been very challenging. But again, there are many wonderful people, dedicated people who have been working to make these reunifications happen, but it's going to take time. And also something that I just read from someone, one of my team members today, some of these families are afraid because the last thing they want is their child to be deported. And so we're fighting that now where we might find the relative, but they'll hang up on us. Or we might find the relative and they'll tell the official helping us, don't tell them where I am. Don't give out my phone number. So we're working with people who are active 
actively disinterested in being found because they don't want to take a chance that their child might be deported. And so there are lots of moving parts to this and reasons why it is challenging making this reunification happen. All right. At the time the Third Reich was over there killing Jews in Germany, lining them up for the, and I quote, de Laos, people say, how could this happen? How could this possibly happen? And then everybody says, well, they people were looking the other way. They were looking the other way. They didn't care. They looked the other way. Now, we weren't killing Jews, but we were taking four-year-old daughters from families never to be reunited again at the behest of the U.S. government looking the other way. Other than the fact that there are no Jews being killed, I isn't it the same thing? Yes. A family is being yes. killed. A family relationship that will forever stain that daughter, forever stain the mind of that child. It's being ruined, destroyed. You're not killing Jews? I'll go that far. But is not the rest of it a bunch of ne'er-do-well looking the other way and allowing it to happen. Yes, many of the politicians allowed this to happen. It was something that has been talked about with other administrations, but no one ever took that step that happened under the Trump administration of putting this into action. And then you are so right, you touched on something so important. Yes, that four-year-old child is traumatized, will have challenges, and that now is something that has been researched and is one of the biggest focuses of the government in making these reunifications is the mental health of these children. Because, yes, they were, to that child, they were kidnapped. Oh, there is they're right. separation here. And there's no other way to explain that to a child. And I actually write that in my book using a four-year-old as the storyline and saying, you can't tell a child, look, we may get separated. They're not going to understand. All they know is I'm next to mom. I see big people in uniforms who look like the type of people who we try to avoid in our country because down there, the military in many ways can be the enemy because they are also violent and they can be perpetrating as much crime as the criminals. And I don't want to paint that this is everybody. It certainly isn't. But these are things that do happen down there with the military and the police colluding with the gangs. That's where the money is. And then this child is separated or the child is sitting there having a little snack with the mom. And as we've said before, the mom gets called away and comes back. Nothing. The child is gone. And you know, we actually have a recounting from two little brothers. This is through their father. And they said we would be scared at night. We we're alone. And then we might start crying or another child would start crying. And then now we're all crying because we're all missing our mom and we're all missing our dad and we're in the dark and it's cold and we don't know what's going to happen and imagine they lived through this for months months and months of living in this kind of a situation and that's it's absolutely horrible that this happened and hopefully this will never ever happen again and the reason it stopped is because in 2018 the government made this an official policy and once it was official the ACLU 
immediately went in to the courts and said, this is wrong. And they filed a suit focusing on the Fifth Amendment, the lack of due process for these families who were seeking asylum, who had their proper papers. A lot of people in the news, this has come up, oh, they were all gangs. No. I've worked, every case I have worked has been with a parent. And those parents have documents, and they had documents, and they didn't get the documents back, they did not get their ID cards back, they did not get their money back on top of all this. They lost their child, they lost all their documents, and they lost all their money. Somebody in America affiliated with our government stole their money, too. Yes, yes, that That has definitely happened. That is sick. Oh, my, 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 my. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, I don't know what to say other than the fact that we have brilliant minds in this country. I'm going to say it because I know it's true. We've cured diseases. We've got a pandemic somewhat under control because of some brilliant minds and some very intelligent people. And where in the hell were these people at the time this U.S. Constitution that we have and the Bill of Rights was used as toilet paper? instead of standing up for the rights of a human being and their child. I don't care if the child's from Haiti or from wherever they're from. You don't do what we did over here. It's just plain wrong. You know, there's right versus wrong. Where did this, this sick, this almost, this sinister mentality come from? And they're performing these tasks under the name of the U.S. government, which in the mind of these people who are being broken up, that'll never change now. The reputation that they will speak for the rest of their lives regarding the USA, it's not going to make us look good at all. No, unfortunately, it was with a lot of outcry from the public that once this was made official, it's really important to to this thought that they did this, this was done in 2017 as a pilot program. So they made it purposely run under the radar. Informal. And they knew. Informal. And because of the informality of it, the laws could not be applied because, you know, the question would be, do you have a formal policy? No, we don't. That was the that was the line that they were using. We don't have this official policy. But they made it extremely clear that this is what they wanted to happen. And what did happen is that in April of 2018, Jeff Sessions started sending out documentation saying, this is what we're going to do. So he was shifting from informal to formal and letting people know officially this was going to be the policy. And this is where another couple of thousand families were aggressively separated during this period. And then we got the, quote, official document saying this is what we're doing now. And at that point, agencies like the ACLU who had been monitoring this, but they could not go anywhere because, again, if going to the court and saying this is happening, is it official? No, we don't have an official policy. What's the court going to do? The court does not have an official policy. They don't have a document in front of them that says this is what we are doing. They were very careful in how they crafted this pilot program. But once they made it an official 
statement, an official policy. Then the ACLU went in, and you know we have to give you know congratulations to them that they were monitoring this and they were watching. And as soon as they saw an opening, they went into the courts and said, "Here we go." And what happened is the court looked at their suit and said, "Yes, if you go to court against the federal government, the chances are very high the government will lose because of the Fifth Amendment, because of the lack of due process." So we will put an injunction, we will stop the government right now, and then this is where the judge, all this happened very quickly, turned around and said, you must find these children who are five years old and younger and return them within 30 days to their parents. Unfortunately, well, I was brought in by ABC to talk about this once that was released by the court and by the judge to talk on this, and I explained at that time this was not going to happen. It wasn't going to happen because of the logistics. Because remember, this was a government that had not a plan B to reunite these kids. This would be like taking a pillow full of feathers, going to the top of the hill and letting them go. And then someone says, I'll go pick up each one of these. No plan. It's so hard to have that concept that the government had zero plan to find these kids, to find their parents. And that's why it didn't happen. And we have worked some cases where the children are under five years old still. And we're talking five years later. I'll bet you I can answer my own question. But just to humor you a little bit, let me ask you, how many individuals in this country were arrested for kidnapping, for taking a four-year-old child from their family and the family never seen the child again. Give me that, if you could, in round numbers. Zero. Thank you. Yes, thank you. That's sick. That's downright sick. I, I am sorry, but there are parts of this country which make me so proud to say I'm from here. We've done some good in this world, for heaven's sake. Are we perfect? No, we're not. Is anybody perfect? No, they're not. But there is right versus right. There's wrong versus wrong. What would the founding fathers of this country that drafted that U.S. Constitution say if they could be on the mic with us today? The, the, tears would be streaming down their eyes. Am I anywhere near the truth? Absolutely. This is not, I'm a veteran. This is not the country that prompted me to want to go and support it by going to war. I was in Desert Storm. You're a I veteran got, of the United States Navy. Yes. I actually had to force them. I say that loosely, but I was in the reserves, and they don't take people from the reserves into active duty. I thought they always did, but they told me in North Fork, which is pretty much one of the two largest naval institutions in this country, and they said, we don't do that. I said, well, you do now. And for three weeks, I hounded them until they made it happen and put me into active duty. But when I did that, this is not not how I pictured my America working and treating people because we need these people. We do need people to come up to work at certain jobs that nobody in this country wants to work. Isn't that they the don't truth. want to be out in the fields. Right. They don't want to be out in 105, 110 degrees weather. But people from Central America, they're used to it. They yeah. know how to handle they you know physically they can handle the heat because it's hotter down there. It's it's humid. They can do it. Right now, we have most likely immigrants clearing away the debris from Hurricane Ian. 
again in Florida, trying to make an area safe and habitable again for U.S. citizens. And that work is being done in water with alligators and snakes around them. And those are immigrants who are down there, along with U.S. citizens. But part of that work is definitely being done by immigrants who may or may not be getting a decent wage, who don't have health insurance, who are doing some of the worst jobs that this country has but needs people to do. That's a reality. And unfortunately, when these this topic of immigration comes up, everyone forgets the benefits that these people bring by doing that and the benefits we receive as a country by having them pick our food and help process our food so that we can have it so that a pound of grapes doesn't cost $10. I know it's gone up at the store, but it's not higher because of these people are doing this work. A, they're doing the work so we have that product and they're doing the work not at top level wages and we u.s people are benefiting from their hard labor and sweat we are so that running we can that food on our table richard we are running a country that cannot effectively staff a hamburger stand i went through a mcdonald's and i'm sorry i used a name but it's the truth i'm not making it up i pull through the drive-thru I say I would like A, B, and C. Um, sir, I'm sorry. We are understaffed. We have no staffing. Uh, we're not able to give you uh, any food at all. I said, no food. They said, yes, no food. I said, okay, give me a large mocha frappe. Oh, no, 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 sir. I'm sorry. That frappe machine, we're not, we can't use that either. May I interest you in our soft drink product? and they name the soft drink company. You know the drill. They have the cola, the lemon lime, the orange, the root beer, and that's it. Would you like to take one of our blank, blank soft drink products? That's all they were going to offer me at a McDonald's with the doors locked and nobody inside, but maybe one girl, one guy, and that's it. We don't have enough people to serve and make hamburgers at a million plus dollar business you got to be a millionaire to put down a mcdonald's and own it and have it in your name and now you have a joint that can't even put a hamburger in there after you've invested your money because the americans they don't want to work there now if somebody wants to come into this country and they'll show up for work at that hamburger stand and they'll come there on time, clean, keep their hands washed, wear their gloves, do what the boss tells them to do, be a good worker, be a loyal worker, work their way up maybe into management, bring more people in, and people go in, and this time, instead of that litany of garbage they handed me, you can go in next time and actually get some food. And you know what? That job should count as a job that somebody can come over from South America or another country and do if they are physically, mentally, and healthy enough both ways to do that job. And right now we're failing because I used one example. We got chicken joints that don't have people in them. They're closing them down. I, I, I'm telling you what, that nobody wants to work. The world owes these children a living. We owe them 
a living. B.S. You don't owe anybody a living. You start out, you work your way up, and you go through the the trenches. You know, uh, it's not that difficult. This is not rocket science, Richard. It really is not. Uh, But you know what? There's hatred in certain people's lives for these immigrants that come in. Vile hatred. Stealing that child from them. (laughs) We'll get you now. Yeah, it's pure hate. I don't see much of a difference between that and the, the you know, a, a racist, uh, any, uh, any other racist group. Tell me what's the difference between, except for the name. You know, it's sad. We really, it makes me sick. It, it sick. Sick to my stomach, Richard. It's terrible. It is sad. It is sad that many people don't understand what you just said. You know, that there are jobs that the people in this country do not want to work, will not work, but there are others who will come in and do the work. And as an aside, I have a very good friend of mine in near Atlanta, Georgia, and Stockbridge. It's a very successful restaurant. It's Mexican food. And he had to close for two days a week at one point because he could get not get enough staff in there. And he did not want to burn out his manager who was doing a phenomenal job. But he couldn't have his manager working 70, 80 hours a week. And so he took that step. But that's a massive step for a restaurant to take to close down for two days a week because they can't get help. And again, people will talk about the legalities, but it's our government that's failing us. It's our government that doesn't have enough judges in place. It's our government that has not streamlined this process. It is our government that has not made it easy for people to cross in and cross back out and then cross back in when they're needed. There are so many studies that have been done that have shown that if we had that, many of these families would come up, work hard for three months, six months, whatever the season is, and would gladly go back home to their families. And then when they're needed again, they would come back up, do the work. But no, we have not worked on that because this whole process of work has been politicized. Instead of saying, we need these bodies, they're willing, and let's get them in here and let's allow them the way to leave and to come across without having to risk their life through desert and trying to swim the Rio Grande and making it almost as if it's a ninja game of trying to get across this minefield to get to the job in the first place. Yes, it's a terrible situation, and that is the fault of our government. And other administrations have kicked this whole problem down the road to the point that people who legitimately have come in and should be able to stay are waiting years and past the time that they can stay legally. And we're putting thousands and thousands of young people at risk because we can't get our act together as a country to do the process and to allow these people to stay and to be productive citizens and to help our country grow and stay strong. Oh my, I'm telling you what. You got me started, Richard. Richard, I would blame you, but you're the one I should not blame because you're trying to do something good about it by reuniting these children with their families. God bless you for what it is you're doing. We are out of time. Our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Villasana, and he is a Navy veteran, United States Navy. He is a leading international authority on reuniting children in U.S. foster care with their relatives. Let me stop right there. Some of these children taken away. I 
I don't think they're in U.S. foster care. I don't think anyone knows where in the hell they are. Do you? Many of these children are lost. Many of these children are going into foster care. And again, that's a whole other conversation for us because there's so many things happening there. But for people who would like to know about what we've been talking about, it's in my new book, Do No Harm, An American Tragedy Continues by me, Richard Viasana. It's available now on Amazon. They can get this. It talks about everything that we have been talking about from the decision to have put in place this pilot program called Zero Tolerance to the government's effort to try to reunite these children with their families and the problems they're having and how these children are either lost or ending up in a foster care system that is not prepared for children from these countries to care for them and to find their relatives. www.foreverhomesforfosterkids.org foreverhomesforfosterkids.org Our guest, Mr. Villasana, is also available on Facebook and Twitter. If somebody wants to drop you a line, sir, how do they do that? Absolutely. They can go to facebook.com forward slash Richard Viasana. I'm definitely active there. They can also go to our Facebook page. All they have to do is put in Forever Homes for Foster Kids. They'll pull it right up. Very active there, helping people know how to be a foster parent, adoptive parent, talking about these issues. And again, they can go to Amazon if they want to. Do no harm, Richard Viasana, and find out, get the details of what has been happening and the good people who are trying to fix a Terrible, ugly, wrong. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on the show from the bottom of my heart. Mr. Villasana, you're a great speaker. You're a person that is doing right in as as much as you can to correct a horrendous wrong that should have never been perpetrated in the first place. And for that, my hat is off to you, sir. And we're going to bring you back on. You're a wonderful, wonderful guest. Thank you everyone for listening. Richard Villasana, you're a saint as far as I'm concerned. Keep doing what it is you're doing. This is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. And on behalf of myself and another Richard, Richard Villasana, our guest today at foreverhomesforfosterkids.org. That's where you'll reach him. The new book, Do No Harm by Richard Villasana. Forever Homes for FosterKids.org. We'll see you with a brand new show next Wednesday, everyone. Thank you for being with us today. Good night. Thank you so much, Rick, for having me on. It has definitely been a pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this terrible humanitarian crisis that is impacting these children. And again, for anyone who would like to know more about how this happened, the players involved, and how this is progressing with the reunification of these children with their parents. You can get the book on Amazon, Do No Harm by Richard Villasana, V-I-L-L-A-S-A-N-A. I ask you to get the book. Proceeds do go to help our U.S. foster children be reunited with their families. So it's a win-win for everyone. Thank you again, Rick, so much for having me on your show.
the preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.